The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. You know the song. This is the part of the musical Annie when she sings about a better tomorrow with her dog Sandy by her side. But did you know the original Sandy was found at an animal shelter? In fact, every dog that's played Sandy since Annie's world premiere has been a rescue. It all started with a 19-year-old set-building apprentice who was drafted to find a dog to play Sandy. Good morning. I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. William Berloni rescued the first dog to play Sandy in the musical Annie in 1976. Since then, he's trained animals found in shelters, humane societies, and rescue leagues to play in other Broadway shows and in Hollywood. He details his experiences in a book called Broadway Tales, heartfelt stories of rescued dogs who became showbiz superstars. William's with us now in the studio. Thank you so much for coming in. My pleasure. Can I call you Bill? You absolutely can. Well, I will then. William makes me sound really old. (laughs) All right, Bill. The comedian and actor W.C. Fields once said, never work with children or animals. How -hmm. do you respond to that statement? Well, recently in a... In a Playbill interview, the the creator of Annie, Martin Charnin, actually was quoted as saying, always work with kids and animals, obviously. Um, it's great. I'd rather work with kids and animals than with adults anytime. <laughs> How long have you been working with animals now? I actually trained the original Sandy in the original production of Andy, Annie 36 years ago. Wow. How did that come to be? Oh, it's a, it's sort of a, a unique uh, story in that I... I was I'd graduated high school, wanted to be an actor. I'm from Central Connecticut, and there was a regional theater in Connecticut called the Goodspeed Opera House. And instead of spending my summers uh, having fun on the beach, I thought, let me become an apprentice there, so I could start learning about the the ways professional theaters are run and 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 to get a feel for it. So my second season season there as a technical apprentice, building scenery, watching the professional actors. Um, they did a show that had a dog in it, and when it came time for production, they realized that it was very expensive to have a New York animal trainer come up. And so they went to all the paid crew members and they all threatened to quit if they had to do this dog thing. So the producer needed a sucker. And somehow my name was brought up. And I remember being called in his office and uh, his, and, and his name is Michael Price. He's still the executive director of the Goodspeed Opera House. And he said, Bill, he said, you know, how would you like your equity card in a part in one of the shows? Now, I'm 19 years old. I'm a sophomore in college, and, and all of a sudden I see my dreams of stardom coming through. And and I was sure he saw how talented I was in as, as an actor, by the way. I'd been building scenery for two seasons. And I said, sure, Mr. Price, that'd be great. And he said, kid, all you have to do is find and train the dog for the new show, you know, for no money. I went, sure, okay. Um, and, uh, you know, it took me a week to realize I'd made this deal, you know, with the devil. And uh, someone said they had cheap dogs at the animal shelter. And uh, so I went casting, and that show was the original production of Annie, and I found the original Sandy in the animal shelter. Now, here you are more than 40 years later Mm -hmm. working with a Sandy again on the Broadway production of Annie. Yep. Which you also did the first Broadway production of Annie, too. <laughs> I did the first, I did the first, the 10th anniversary, the 20th anniversary, the 30th anniversary. Now we're at the 35th anniversary, yeah. 
So how did you make that leap from that very first job training a dog for this production of Annie in Connecticut to that first Broadway production of Annie? Well, even then it was sort of uh, one of those unique stories. Uh, I, I never trained a dog, and I thought if I train, if my dog at home used to follow me around without a leash and do repetitive behaviors around feeding time, so I thought, well, if I can make the new Sandy think the theater was his home and the cast was his family, maybe he would do the same thing. So I would bring him to the shop every day, and I'd bring him to the theater every night when the other shows were running, and he became very familiar with everybody. So, um, And then we got to work with the little girl. She showed up, and, and when they said, you know, do you want to rehearse with her? I said, well, why don't we just play with the dog? And so that natural bond between kids and dogs started to happen, and that carried on to the stage, which was made my job successful. But unfortunately, the original production of Annie was not received very well. In fact, Walter Kerr from the New York Times came up and just killed it. Um, and along the way, uh, Mike Nichols was introduced to the production, and a new production was written, and I was invited back to work on that. And now I'm attending NYU. I'm studying with Stella Adler at, at the conservatory, and I get a call from Mike Nichols' office. You know, would I be interested in training Sandy again? And I'm thinking, any way to work with Mike Nichols, even as a gopher, sure, I'll be a dog trainer. So when Annie opened uh, in April of 1977, literally a year after I'd gotten Sandy, it became an, a, a huge hit, and I became a world-famous animal trainer now at the age of 20. So you still had that Sandy from that first I production. Did. I did. I, you know, I had gone two years to um, a community college up in Connecticut, saved my money to move to New York. So halfway through my first year at NYU, I dropped out to do Annie and still had Sandy. I thought, if I'm going to move to New York, I'll have a dog with me. You know, why not? So... Uh, and, you know, it was such a huge success. There was that that production and, and four national touring companies. And then other Broadway shows started calling me. And I, by my third Broadway show, I realized I was more talented as an animal trainer than I was as a performer. So how many Sandys would you say you've had throughout your lifetime? I, I've tried not to count. But unfortunately, that question's been coming up so much lately. I, I think it's about 32 we've had, uh, all rescues. All the animals I train are rescues. So... I think I've had about 30 Sandys. Does that surprise people when they find out that all of these animals are rescue animals? It, it does. I mean, we've I've always touted that fact. Um, you know, going back to that first day where I found Sandy, I you know, I'm 19 years old. I, I had had a collie growing up, and when he passed away, we went to the pet shop and got a beagle. So here I am, 19 years old, and I go to animal shelters, and I had no idea that animals were kept in those kind of conditions or that people abandon animals. And I was profoundly moved. I mean, I, I really didn't know that, and, and I loved animals so much that I made a promise to myself that if I, when I grew up, if I got a dog, I would rescue one. Well, you know, I, I just kept that promise throughout my career. And it seems such, you know, in every show we do, we tout that, and we try to make a, make a point of that because there are such wonderful animals languishing in animal shelters. I don't understand why we continue to reproduce them in puppy mills and, and, and you know, catteries and sell them in pet shops. So we're always encouraging people to rescue. Sandy is a mutt, right? Mm hmm Now, do mutts make better Broadway actors than other breeds? No. No, you know, I, I don't think so at all. In that um, mutts are, are, are the jack-of-all-trades. You know, in that um, <laughs> purebreds do one thing well, um, they were bred to either hunt, they were bred to either, you know, scent, they were bred to protect. So if you have a Karen Terrier who plays Toto, and they were bred to kill rats, 
it's very hard to get them to sit still when someone's singing somewhere over the rainbow because they just want to chase everything that moves. So I'm fighting the genetics on certain when you're using purebreds. But with mutts, they're, they're good at everything. I mean, nature has done its thing, so they do everything well, and I just find them easier to work with. But, you know, again, we, we use purebreds all the time. I know that you recently worked with bloodhounds for the Broadway production of A Christmas Story. How did that go for you? Oh, my goodness. Um, we, we rescued a brother and sister from Bloodhound Rescue of Ontario, Pete and Lily. And I've had bloodhounds before for an Andrew Lloyd Webber show. And they're the sweetest dogs. Dumb as posts because they're, everything is about their noses. It's all their olfactory senses. And they're so, so they're always sniffing. And they don't pay attention to anything. So it was, it was interesting how to create behaviors that, that were centered around sniffing things. They were able to do it. It was a little hair-raising, and the show was, became very popular. It was a huge hit. So, um, so Pete and Lily are now back at our farm waiting till next Christmas, <laughs> this Christmas, to do the show again. I was going to ask you the question, what happens to the dogs after the show's closed? And it sounds like you keep them. Well, absolutely. And, and that's another people, a question I'm, I'm surprised if people ask me. You know, we, we have a farm, well, acreage up in Connecticut. We don't produce anything that we sell. <laughs> but um, we're, And we have 23 dogs. We own 23 dogs. Uh, currently, four of them are working. So, you know, there's 19 dogs at home. But And they're all, all acting dogs. Uh, it, it would seem to me really irresponsible to adopt a pet, exploit it for money, and when the show closed, get rid of it. You know, I mean, as a pet owner, they're our family. They're our pets. We would, so when they're not working, it doesn't mean we don't love them any less. So, you know, it's sort of this perpetual thing where the current Broadway show or project is taking care of all the others who are unemployed and, you know, need medical benefits. Do acting dogs have understudies? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, and uh, every creature is allowed to get sick. You know, I mean, to assume, and if you write a show in which a dog has a major part that you can't cut it out, you know, I'm not putting on a dog suit and going on to cover. So we always have a, a standby dog or a standby cat or a standby rat in case that happens. So you work with more than just dogs then? Yeah, I, you know, when, when, when I became popular early on in my career, we started getting calls for lots of animals because my philosophy of, of, of positive reinforcement and all that stuff was prevalent. Um, and... As I started doing research into other species and other trainers, I, I realized that the one thing we would never do, or I would never do, is work with wild animals. Uh, I, I don't believe they should be used in entertainment, you know. So we will work with domesticated animals, anything you could find on a farm or, you know, in a pet shop. So dogs, cats, horses, sheep, rats, I mean, birds, uh, but nothing more exotic than that. What would you say has been the most challenging production you've been involved with? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, I'm, th- there's two parts to that, that question, uh, uh, two answers. Uh, the first one probably uh, was Legally Blonde, the musical. Um, I was contacted by its director, Jerry Mitchell, who had an idea to open the show. Um, we had a meeting, and he said, Bill, I've got this great idea for a Legally Blonde. And for those of you who don't know Legally Blonde, it's about Elle Woods, um, this girl from UCLA who goes to Harvard to follow her true love and ends up finding herself. Anyway, she's at, it starts, takes place at the sorority in California, and the girls can't find Elle. And her dog comes out and tells them where she is. Now, when, when Jerry said that to me, I said, tells? He said, yes, he's got lines. I went, 
Bruiser has lines. He goes, yes, he's got five lines. <laughs> and then, you know, he said, it would just be a great opening. And I went, Jerry, I said, you really want to open the show and all the exposition depending on the actions of this dog? Because if the dog doesn't say the lines, where do we go from there? He said, no, I know you could do it. So, so that has become one of the most challenging things for us to do. And Bruiser is a chihuahua, by chihuahua, the way. Right, and, and not a St. Bernard or something who's got a little, a little tiny chihuahua who has to come to the middle of the stage and bark, you know, <laughs> repetitively in, in front of the audience, the orchestra, and, you know, 18 chorus girls. Um, so we were able to figure that one out. So that, that I mean, that that's always hair-raising to me. Now, are you always just off stage just in case something goes wrong? Oh, yeah. I, it's... You know, the animal has to be commanded by someone, um, and whether it's the actor on stage or us in the wings, someone is always in control, and we often balance that so the audience is unaware where the commands are coming from. So are but, you training the actors how to work with the animals, too? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, if if you think about it, I mean, cinematically, I'm when we do films, I'm behind the camera, so you could cheat the angle, so it looks like the dog is looking at the action, but... If Sandy came on stage, center stage, and looked in the wing to get the command and then executed it, the audience would be like, why is he looking to the side? So, you know, the original Annie and I, you know, decided that I had she was going to become a trainer and she was going to give the commands and the dog was going to love and respect her as much. And that's the theory that we, we've brought through all the training is training all these actors to be handlers. Have you ever had a situation where the animal just didn't like the actor that they were working with? Oh, there have been more than you would think. I mean, if a if you were casting a show and the main and your care and this character had to interact with an animal, you would think that you would act the ask the actor if they were allergic, afraid, or unfamiliar. You would think, you know, especially if it's the star of the show, or if you did ask that question, you would think the actor would tell the truth. But often, I would say 10% of the time, I get into a rehearsal room and we've got, you know, four to six weeks before opening night. And the person I'm working with says, yeah, I love dogs. I've never had one and I'm allergic, but I love them. <laughs> and when I bring that up, it's, it's, the producer's like, well, what are you going to do about it? As if it's my problem. You know, what do you do about it? It's again, why would a creature, you know, these creatures look to us to please us? Why would you please someone who doesn't want to have anything to do with you? And so, you know, it becomes a really messy show about, you know, roast beef in someone's pocket because mm -hmm. the dog's now working for some high value food motivator as opposed to, you know, because they want to and they care for that person. Um uh, I did a show with Kate Burton. Who, uh, it was called Alice in Wonderland, and I showed up during tech rehearsals with a cat. She was the kitten. She was, and she was allergic. And and the director said, "What are you going to do about it?" It was like, "What am I going to do about it?" I mean, so we took the cat out and had to give it weekly baths to you know make it hypoallergenic. But again, I, I was flabbergasted that the star of the show was, would get hives. You know, I mean. It's so almost it's, like it's anything the, for a part, right? I guess, I guess, but it, it, but ultimately, w when an animal loves you on stage and that relationship is real, it is much. It's very moving. It's very powerful. Uh, again, the reason we're, we we wrote this musical, um, you know, the question is why do animals garner all this uh, attention? I, you know, as an actor, and uh, when we go to the theater, you know, I know that I'm pretending, you know that I'm pretending, and we've all suspended disbelief. But when an animal walks on stage, there's an element of reality that the audience goes, wait a minute, 
what that animal is doing is real. It's not acting. And it just takes you to a much heightened level of interest, you know. And and I try to explain that to animals, that if, if an animal's looking at you lovingly, the audience is going to, it's going to attach to you from their heart. So that's the theory that we're bringing into this, this new musical because of Winn-Dixie. Um, you know, and so it, it behooves actors <laughs> to have a relationship with the pets. You know, it's like, if you're going to be in a musical with, with an animal, be the one who's next to the animal, not the one who's behind, because nobody's going to be looking at you, you know. Do actors ever fall in love with the animals and want to keep them from the, for themselves? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, if, if at the end of a run, the actors aren't crying to say goodbye, I haven't done my job. And I've actually had a case where one actress actually stole one of our dogs. <laughs> it was in Legally Blonde. Her name is Orfe. Um, we love her dearly. She played Paulette, the hairdresser. And the, the day she walked into the... Paulette house, has a bulldog, right? Well, no. Paulette had a bulldog. Okay. But Orfe fell in love with our understudy chihuahua, Boo Boo. And she's a very strong-willed woman. And uh, she said, you know, I want this dog. I said, well, you can't have this dog, you know. And we worked together for three years. And, you know, she would, like, come to my dressing room and take and steal him to her dressing room. You know, and she 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 wanted to quit the show. I said, you quit the show, you're not getting the dog. And, and she stayed for the whole run just so that she could adopt Boo-Boo at the end. And, and you know, again, at that point, I realized he was going to have a better life with her, you know. So it, it wasn't a no-brainer. But... That's about one of the only few times that our actors have actually walked away with, with the dog. dogs. You mentioned that you also do film in addition to doing Broadway. What films have you been involved with? Oh, my goodness. Um, because I don't go to Hollywood a lot, I do a lot of stuff that's filmed out here. Um, oh, gosh. My last film was the Meryl Streep, Tommy Lee Jones, Good Hope Springs. Mm-hmm. That was shot in Connecticut. Um, we did a, a, a movie for the chiller network called dead souls and and then i have this history of of working on people's biggest bombs i mean going back it's it's kind of funny i worked on a a midsummer's night sex comedy with woody allen that was one of his biggest bombs i worked on a film called neighbors with john belushi and dan Aykroyd that was directed by john john advildson who directed rocky you know right after rocky so that was a big bomb did a film with Nora Ephraim called Mixed Nuts, starred Steve Martin. Again, uh, titles that you don't, you know, I did a I did a film with Deborah Winger and Nick Nolte. Uh, oh, God, it was um, it's forgettable. Arthur Miller, <laughs> and I can't remember. I mean, it was like Arthur Miller, oh, my God, you know, and uh, bomb, never even. I mean, so I've done these, <laughs> these amazing films that just seems to be everybody sort of misses at the moment. What do you prefer, Broadway to film? sounds like it um you know it's at this point the hardest thing for me is there's no laws or unions protecting animals on on sets and so when i go into a situation i'm advocating for very simple basic conditions so the animals can perform but in in more in film uh they're still considered props and things and so i don't you know i have it's kind of a fight to get the things that i need where on broadway i've established sort of a career and a and a set of standards that everybody knows what so, are those standards rest periods um a quiet place to sleep air conditioning when it's warm heat when it's cold i mean these are things that you wouldn't think of denying a human actor but uh, literally i have to you know trade dollars to get 
a, you know, an air conditioned space for the dogs to sit or, a, you know, a dressing room. Or if I say, you know, after 20 minutes, the, the dog needs a rest to continue. They're like, we can't stop. We got to keep going. Well, but every 50 minutes, the humans get a mandatory break, you know. So it's just stuff like that. And again, I, it's easier for me to work on Broadway than it is in film. And so, uh, but when you do work in film, it's quicker and you make more money. So it's, I prefer to stay in theater. What happens when a show goes on tour? Are there any special considerations? Well, the the first consideration that's always been a problem, and you know, when we describe my trainers, we're part trainers, part truckers, because we we never fly the animals. In the case of Annie, we're not going to put any of those dogs in the hold of a plane, and they're not allowed on board. So, in a national tour of Annie, the trainers are driving from stop to stop. Well, you know, in in a, in a national touring company. The you do a, a Sunday matinee, the cast goes to the hotel and sleeps for the trip on Monday. The crew loads out the set onto the trucks and then goes to the hotel and rests. The truckers drive it from San Diego to Seattle, and then they sleep. Well, my trainer does the matinee, gets in the in the car, drives from Seattle to San Diego, you know, whatever, and then has to do a show. So um, that's the hardest part. You know, we obviously we get a hotel room, we get a private dressing room. Some theaters on the road don't have enough dressing rooms and sometimes the dressing room may be a broom closet or it may be someone's office. So finding those places, again, where the animal can rest and be safe get a little more challenging on the road. In addition to your work on Broadway and in Hollywood, you also work with the Humane Society of New York, right? Correct. What kind of work do you do there? Um, The Humane Society of New York is a no-kill shelter here in New York City. And again, 35 years ago when Annie opened, I voluntarily would do volunteer work for all the animal shelters here in New York City. At one point, the Humane Society of New York 15 years ago asked me to come over and, you know, look at their dogs. And I thought, well, I really don't have any experience at this. And I did. So, you know, when I'm when I was in town, I'd stop by and sort of temperament test the dogs. And if some of them had problems, set up training programs, and they kept inviting me back. And finally, they gave me a, a title. Uh, I'm the director of animal behavior. And so now I'm a consultant for them where when I'm in town, I go in once a week and, and they can't afford a full-time trainer. So here I am coming in, helping them out, setting up their programs, you know, training staff members, meeting adopters, that sort of stuff on some of the difficult cases. And it just helps ground me. I mean, it's 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 a way to hone my skills and I'm grateful to them for giving me that opportunity, you know, to have a you know, a, a kennel full of dogs beside mine that I'm responsible for, for their welfare, for their training, and for their ultimate adoption. So it keeps me keeps my skills honed. All right, Bill, anything that I didn't ask you that you would want to mention? No, I am. Um, you know, the, the current production of Annie is uh, doing very, very well, and um, we're, it's, it's amazing. I because I've done musicals. I did Camelot, uh, directed by Alan J. Lerner and Richard Burton. I did the revival of that. I've done wonderful musicals. And there has never been a year in since, since I began this where I haven't done Annie in some major, you know, venue across the country. And I step back, and, and, and I say this often, in that I think Annie is one of the greatest American musicals in that, you know, it remains it's remained current. You know, unlike shows like Fiddler on the Roof or My Fair Lady or, again, other great American musicals, they haven't had the same 
sort of revival and currency that that Annie continues to do, and and I'm just amazed by it, and 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 feel blessed that I've I've been attached to it, you know, to be able to train these animals, and and the current production is no less you know exciting and new and wonderful than than any of the others, and so if you get a chance, please come and see it, you know. Also along that lines, for the first time in Broadway history, they've they've created a new partnership with an outside entity. Uh, in this case, they, our producers partnered with Pedigree Dog Food, who have this huge initiative to rescue animals as well. They have a foundation, and $2 of every ticket we sell goes to the foundation to help homeless animals. And currently, since we've opened in October of you know of 2012, they've raised you know over half a million dollars that are going to feeding programs in Nashville and Chicago and helping shelters on Long Island that were hurt by Hurricane Sandy. I mean, so... You know, so for me, you know, now I've taken my mission not only to doing interviews, but, you know, we've brought in a company who is actually helping us raise major money to help shelters all over the country. So, again, you know, uh, entertainment, when entertainment's being used to help others, it just becomes the best type of entertainment. So, you know, come and support an animal, come and see Annie, come and enjoy a, a wonderful evening, and, you know, walk away feeling good about seeing a show. Bill, thanks so much for coming in. My pleasure. It's a hard knock life for us. It's a hard knock life for us. Bill Berloni is an animal trainer for Broadway and a behavior consultant to the Humane Society of New York. He writes about rescuing animals and turning them into stars in his book, Broadway Tales, Heartfelt Stories of Rescued Dogs Who Became Showbiz Superstars. You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm George Baldarki. Bill Berloni says rescue dogs have the right temperament for Broadway. But finding a dog with the right temperament is important for anyone who plans to bring a dog into their lives. To learn about the most popular dog breeds and their temperaments, we have Gina Gennardo on the phone. She's a spokeswoman for the American Kennel Club. Gina, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me. So what are the most popular dog breeds in the nation? Well, for 22 years in a row, the most popular breed in America has been the Labrador Retriever. And then followed by the German Shepherd is number two. The Golden Retriever is three. And then the Beagle and the Bulldog round out the top five. What about here in New York City? Do things differ when it comes to the most popular dog breeds? Not for the number one breed. The Labrador is also most popular in New York City. But then we have some differences. For two and three, the Bulldog is number two, and the French Bulldog is number three, which you don't even see in the top ten nationally for the French Bulldog. Why do you think that is? Well, they're both great city dogs, and they're both, you know, beautiful and have a different aesthetic. And New Yorkers like to be distinctive and have, you know, cool-looking things, including their dogs. So... Bulldogs, French Bulldogs are, are great city dogs. They don't need a lot of exercise, and so for those reasons, plus others, they're really popular in the city. Now, Labs are bigger dogs, and I think that some people would be surprised that Labs are so popular in New York because many New Yorkers live in tiny apartments. So my question is, do Labs make good pets for people who own tiny apartments or rent tiny apartments? Yeah, sure. There's lots of big dogs in New York City, and it's really a question of what do you do with your dog outside of your apartment that makes or breaks the deal. You know, you your dog will need exercise and socialization and both mental and physical, you know, exercise.
exercise. So do you play with your dog a lot? Do you throw the ball? Do you take it to the dog park? Lots of long walks. All of those things, when the dog curls up in a ball and goes to sleep, it doesn't matter if he's in a 5,000-square-foot house or in a 400-square-foot apartment. You know, he's, in a, he's sleeping. But uh, it's really what you do with the awake time that matters. How do you come up with the rankings? Well, they're based on the American Kennel Club's registration statistics nationally. So how many people with those breeds register with the American Kennel Club? Are there any dog breeds you know that you would not recommend for city living? I don't think you can just generally say that, no. I think, you know, you have to pay attention to what you want to do with your dog and how much time you have to give to things like grooming, exercise, if you, want, if you have time and the money to pay for a large breed to be groomed and the food for a large breed, those are more important kind of factors than just generically the size of the dog. Do you ever see fluctuations in your rankings based on popular media? So, for instance, if a new movie comes out, say it's a new Dalmatian movie, 101 Dalmatians comes out, then all of a sudden Dalmatians make your list. Absolutely. We saw that dramatically with 101 Dalmatians. And that's a good thing and a bad thing. You know, it's great when breeds get notoriety and the general public gets to know a breed that may not be as popular, but then it can lend itself to people who breed it just for the sake of its popularity or people who go out and buy that breed based on what it looks like without doing the research about the characteristics, the temperament, the personality of the breed. So we always caution anyone to just do their research before they bring any dog into their home, whether it's through a shelter or through a rescue group or buying from a breeder. You just still need to educate yourself about what the commitment is because we want you to keep your dog for the life of the dog no matter what it is or where you get it from. Gina, thanks so much for your time. Thanks. Take care. Gina Gennardo is a spokeswoman for the American Kennel Club. You can learn more at akc.org. You ain't nothing but a dog And that's it for this week's Cityscape. Remember, episodes of Cityscape can be found online at wfuv.org slash cityscape. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for updates and tidbits on New York City. We're listed on both as WFUV Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to senior producer, Marlene Chin, and producer, Julie Clark. Have a great weekend.